Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. So, can you make a living doing this? Sort of. Sort of. You make a living working for the lodge ladies? Sort of. It can be nice. One summer I did a, uh, a cruise ship in the Caribbean. I got to take my daughter. Her father is... Out of the picture. That was his choice. So you've uh, sung in a lot of places. 36 states and the territory of Puerto Rico. Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How about you? Oh, I've been to Seattle a couple of times. And, uh, Canada no. along the coast. But you must like it. Uh, well, I don't think I do so well down south. You know, cities. How come you're not married? Sorry. You know, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry if you don't want to say. Uh, no, no. Uh, Probably the same reason you're not married. Because such a high percentage of men are jerks? No. Because women are scarce and winters are long. That's true, but... Uh... Because you're looking for someone fun to be with, who understands your bullshit but is still crazy about you anyway. That's a bit much to ask for. No, it's not. So, so I'm going to guess that you really like this film, uh, Michael Denniston. Uh, because I was surprisingly crazy about it. And we've only (laughs) (laughs) briefly talked about John Sayles before. And so I know that you're a big fan of Lone Star. Mm -hmm. That's great. Which I believe is the film directly before. Oh, no, there was one more in between. but uh, But Lone Star comes about three years before limbo and so this is sort of him at kind of i guess his height in terms of at least budget and production value because lone star i believe was his own was his only real commercial hit Mm, yeah as far as i'm aware of yeah that would be that'd be right um and limbo was not (laughs) no (laughs) limbo was the opposite (laughs) grossing 2.1 million dollars on a on a budget of about 10 million uh, not very, rem- not very well remembered today. Not really well talked about today. Uh, but I was surprised by how taken I was with it. Um, so these people 
living in this small town in Alaska and the primarily we're focused on uh, David Strathern, who's playing uh, Joe here, who is a guy who had who used to be a big used to do a lot be a fisherman, but is uh, has something in his past that we're not entirely sure of at the beginning of the film that has sort of kept him uh, away from that. And then we have this singer played by Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio and her daughter, and they're set up early on in the film as being kind of kind of you know kind of like gypsies. Uh, going from job to job, boyfriend to boyfriend, um, dragging her daughter along with her. And uh, there are a lot of different characters popping up in the opening uh, here. And the film kind of seems to have a, have a very wandering focus uh, for the first, I would say, 40 minutes. And then it kind <laughs> of settles down to, to then, it just set, then it settles down to just the three core characters and i i quite like that uh i mean i wasn't sure what to make of it at first and i find that the turns that happen at like the one hour marker or so are are a lot more unexpected considering uh considering how i really thought we were set up for a very different different movie uh up to that point and it what i liked about it is that it brought you to this place where you really didn't weren't sure what could happen next. And okay, Dennis, then you go. <laughs> I, I would say that's accurate because up to that point, nothing really has happened. So the, you know, just the, the twist here, I guess, is that there's finally an event that um, gives you a reason to uh, have been sitting there um, up to that point, which I didn't go back and watch. I wonder if you did after the fact, um, I don't remember anything about hearing anything about this movie. So I, I, you know, I don't, wasn't exposed to any sort of marketing, obviously with the, you know, it's box office. I'm sure it didn't ever get a, uh, a wide release, but I didn't go back and watch the trailer and I'm wondering how the hell they mm-hmm, would try to mm-hmm. market this. And I imagine that they probably gave up the goods as far as, you know, what you liked about it. And so if you came in with the, uh, you know, the twist that we're sort of talking around, um, came in for that, boy, were you going to be squirming in your chair for 40 <laughs> well, or so minutes? Well, it's a lot like the Lost World, Jurassic Park, uh, where, you know, everyone knew, of course, there were going to be dinosaurs uh, and mm-hmm. adventure and everything. Uh, but that movie has a very long, protracted first act. Uh, but but obviously, you know, you know there's going to be dinosaurs eventually. Uh, but here it's like, you know, since it's a completely different genre and everything, yeah, probably I could see how someone could be pretty teed off uh, expecting one kind of movie and then coming in and there's like an hour of character building and slow world building. Um, but I liked all that. I, I really, I could have, I could have seen even, even more of it. Um, <laughs> I, I could not. <laughs> I, I thought it was just terribly written. I just, you know, the, and there's a certain small town, small town element that, maybe breaks um you know screenplay a sort of a faux pas if you will where you have uh i remember there being a whole section uh in william goldman's uh i think it was the second screenwriting book he did uh which lie did i tell where he was talking about the ghost in the darkness and um how much he liked the michael douglas character but that uh, i believe it was douglas or maybe it was just an executive that um 
you know, everybody liked this mysterious hunter character so much, but they're like, they want to know, like, you know, what's his deal? And he's, and Goldman was saying, well, that's what makes him cool. You know, that he's the gunslinger that sort of walks into town and you just sort of fill in the blanks yourself. Uh, so they, either Douglas or someone insisted that they include a scene where they like someone else says, Hey, let me tell you about that guy over there. Here's, here's, here's the tragedy that shaped the man. And I thought about that. I, I'm, I know ghost in the darkness is probably a strange, um, you know, pop culture touchstone to have in my head as I'm watching limbo. But you have, you know, a few scenes like that where it's, you know, the townies at the bar and they're just, you know, talking gossip. So that can happen. But when I'm watching a movie, it just feels lazy and i you know i didn't didn't find any of it particularly interesting um as far as this accident that's happened to our main character of joe the this you know boating accident that has kind of kept him off the waters uh and then not only do they have you people like sort of like side characters tell you about it but then we have like this brief moment where our main character thinks back to that that moment in his life. And at that point, I feel like it's really unnecessary to see it because it's not really any different than what we've been told. There's nothing else. I didn't feel like that illuminated it in a different way from his point of view. So, you know, most of this movie, I just... And, and the other thing is, I, I told you on our last recording, I didn't really recognize many of these actors. Um <laughs> And so, this is I'm not just a, that's like, not a very legitimate criticism, Michael Dennis. Well, it is. Like, it, is it is to me because I'm just like, uh, you know, are any of these people supposed to be particularly engaging? Like, basically, like direct my eye to um to someone here that I'm I'm going to enjoy their presence or I've got some sort of buy-in to them already, and I don't. And I, you know, you talked about the mother daughter thing. I didn't care about either one of them. Like I've. <laughs> Well, you should have. Okay, you should have recognized Vanessa Martinez because I guess apparently she was in Lone Star. Uh, Although I'll admit I had totally forgotten about her in Lone Star (laughs) as well. So she's you know quite young, so I don't know how you know what character she played in Lone Star, but uh, uh, yeah, I did did not like the uh, the mother here. I found her really grating and uh, annoying, and so I did not want her to be the romantic lead. I definitely did not want any time. Uh, like I'm watching an episode of Survivor with her, where it's just you know me and her on the beach, just listening to her complaints. I I found most of this movie to be fairly off-putting, and uh, I was sort of reveling in its failure uh, as I'm watching it. Well, at least we're starting to diverge a bit in our opinions, because there there have been episodes where I was like, where we we've, we've talked and I've just been like, like, man, I really hope that uh, Michael has a different take on this movie and we can like really discuss it, but uh, we couldn't. Um, I was really taken by by uh, so much of it, uh, this world building that he does at the beginning. Uh, I loved hearing the the little gossip between uh, the you know these different like different fisher people and you know the 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 the, uh lesbian couple who has now inherited uh the 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 other businesses competing with the other people and all that it all makes the world feel a lot more real to me and and so when we see chris christopherson's character who is someone you should recognize i mean come on it's a recognizable face um so (laughs) all too brief he's all too brief (laughs) very brief uh... very brief hey joe long time no see Smiling Jack, what brings you down this altitude? Flew some medical supply salesmen in from Cordova. Where are you living these days? Two steps ahead of the finance company. I'll see you later. Jumping Joe Gastineau. Many years? Not exactly. I love 
these later scenes in the movie, the, the, the let's say the adventure uh, part of the film, um, with David Strathern has this way of delivering bad news to both Donna <laughs> and uh, and Noel here, the mother and daughter. That is just like like I I just loved it. It is like you just see this this grimace on his face, <laughs> and and uh, followed by by you know a very regretful no no one comes here no one ever comes here and and there's no like he's not overdoing the drama he's not being an alarmist he's really just like saying it very straightforward <laughs> um and all that rose the stakes for me uh a lot more than if uh than if we were getting uh you know the typical uh adventure survival story of everyone banding together and blah 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 and becoming swiss family robinson and all that and i I'm really, I'm really impressed by this ending. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sure what was going to, I, I thought I knew what was going to happen again. And, you know, my expectations were subverted uh, by sales. Who is not really known for doing stuff like that. Uh, if you look at the rest of his films, like, I don't know how familiar you are with him. Um, you know, he's usually pretty straightforward about this stuff. Yeah, uh, he's he's someone who I usually I, I'm either really really into his films or I'm just completely not. Uh, I would say Passion Fish is one that's kind of a mixed bag for me, and then there's a few others. Uh, Return of the Sakaka Seven is his first film, and it's the film that many people say that the Big Chill was a ripoff from, and it is just like incredibly uh an incredibly difficult watch if you ever see it um it's the only thing that can make you like really appreciate the big chill uh better and <laughs> and so i yeah no I was, mention I of just, eight men out that's that's plus, uh, i haven't seen it i haven't seen it huh. and i haven't seen city of hope uh which is on amazon right now and there are a few uh may to may to one is another very well-known film of his that you can't really, it's hard to find. So I haven't seen it. Uh, the only other thing we have, other film we haven't talked about is, um, the brother from another planet, which is a really excellent movie with Joe Morton as a, as an alien who comes to, uh, I believe it's New York. And, uh, it's, it's, it's very, it's very Jim Jarmusch, uh, style of comedy. Um, and that's, that's something worth checking out that I think uh, I would think you would like, but then again, I thought you would like this. So <laughs> I liked the, uh, Springsteen song that's over the credits. Well, that was a really good choice. And I, as you were talking about his filmography, that was one thing I thought I was like, how did they get the, uh, the boss to give him a song for limbo? And I see that he, uh, uh, I guess directed some of, uh, his music videos cause he's listed twice on, uh, two different uh, video anthologies for Bruce Springsteen. So I didn't have a problem with the ending at all. That was one of the few things I liked about it. But, you know, now that uh, we're talking about it, I actually do remember from my video store days, I I guess I was wrong. I did have some bit of knowledge about Limbo that I had just totally forgotten because I never watched the damn thing. But I do remember someone complaining about the ending of this thing. (laughs) I was saying it was one of the worst things they'd ever seen, which, uh, you know, it 
it predates uh, a much more popular pop culture moment that we would get with a certain HBO series that would sort of, uh, you know, leave you hanging there. And uh, I don't think that one would be a problem now, but I could definitely see it being a problem then. Like, I think if you're watching Limbo, um, I think, you know, all bets are off as far as giving you an appropriate send off. Um, and also like, you know, sort of talking around it. I don't really know what I would want from that either. I don't know what definitive answer I would want in that sequence that would make it, you know, artistically better in any way. So I, I think that's one thing I do, do like about it. Um, that may be it. I man, I really hate the brother. I, I hate how this, you know, this third act comes about with this, this brother character coming in to the mix and just, you know, it just feels it feels underdeveloped just to to get our three main characters into like a different uh stressor to to get them to have these these scenes together where they're you know contemplating their existence and uh also has some of the worst swimming sequences you'll ever see on film i think i thought you'd be all over that ben well they look like they're really swimming like what's wrong with that <laughs> They don't look like that. You you have no they, idea they where like, they are in well, relation to the boat. That's like they keep cutting to each other, and they're just like, they, you know, they they're just sort of in stasis. And I'm like, can we can we go wider here? Can we see where they are in relation to the the danger? Of, you know, what they're swimming away from. Well, that's actually kind. I actually, you know, I didn't think about it at the time, but I actually really like that choice because it was presented as you know people who are not survivalists who are like outside of jump and Joe and all that trying to get away from this. And they're in their perspective, they're not really going to look back at the danger at the threat. Um, you know, all the, the more mysterious and, and, you know, in the dark we were about all that, the better I, I felt about the film. <laughs> I just felt like it read cheap. That's what it read to me. I didn't, I didn't feel like that was a choice as much as it's like what they had. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I just did not dig this. I, uh, it was a hard set. I think, uh, I would go so far as say if I was watching this in 1999, this would have been walkout worthy. And that's even with the twist involved. I think I just sort of just nothing for it. I, I, I think, uh, it's in the running. It's in the never been kissed running. Oh my uh, God. That's, mm-hmm. that's a travesty, but okay. I, I, I will admit there are John sales movies that I've watched where I've had the same reaction where I've just felt like I just wasn't into it. Just didn't care about these little, character interactions that were happening um in passion fish the the best scene in the movie is from a total background character who just comes in and has this amazing scene and and then is gone and then you're left with the two main characters who you're not really that crazy about uh anyways but so i don't know i think we should move into spoiler territory now because i feel like there might be more to talk about uh once we do that uh, okay. So, so spoiler alert for Limbo. Uh, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Michael does not. Uh, but see it's it currently for on Amazon yeah. Prime. So yeah. If you have that, you can check it out for free. So the the twist we've been talking about obviously is that uh, we we come to find out that Jumpin' Joe's brother has had some his half brother uh, even has had some half baked cocaine or crack scheme. And, you know, has people after him and off screen he is uh, killed. And then the mother, daughter and Jumpin' Joe have to go off into this island uh, that no one really uh, or, or, you know, a remote part of Alaska that no one really comes to. And they don't really have any way of communicating or getting back to civilization. And so they have to kind of just hold out at a uh, cabin and just do whatever they can 
to, to try and be rescued. And what was interesting about it to me is that we do not see the normal stuff that you see in like, like for example, a movie I really like, Castaway. Uh, in Castaway, there's all the same uh, little things of, okay, he's got to, uh, he's got to learn how to how to start a fire. He's got to cook his food. He's got to build shelter and all that. We don't get a lot of that normal stuff that you would expect. Uh, they, they they seem to be hedging all their bets on the idea that they will be rescued, uh, uh, you know, within a week or two or whatever. And the daughter finding this diary that she begins to read uh, for Joe and Donna uh, you know, opens up a whole another uh, facet of her character that I found really, really interesting. Um, and, and I was really impressed by, by her performance. Um, and so this ending where they think they may be being rescued, but it's also possible that a past connection of Jumpin' Joe's has come back, has like turned on them and is sending you know, uh, people to, uh, to murder them. Um, you know, and it's set up that way that we don't really know, uh, if it's going to be a rescue attempt or if it's going to be, uh, them, uh, or, or if they're going to get shot down. Um, you know, I, I, this ending is terrific because it, like, to me, my interpretation is that they're there, the, it's very unlikely that they're about to be rescued. Cause I think there would be more planes if that was the case. Um, and at the, but at the same time, I think they've decided they've made like a conscientious decision to be rescued as a family unit or, or to die as a family unit. And, um, you know, that, that was very moving for me. Hmm. You know, I, I just, Jumpin' Joe just commits pretty fast, doesn't he? Well, he seems to, he calls out to Donna and you can see he's much more, uh, he's much more pessimistic about this than, than she is. And so I think he knows that that it's not going to be a bit that this is not their rescue uh, helicopter. And um, Donna may be naive, or you know, or maybe she, I think she's she, just she's just weak. I think she's just uh, oh my god. Well, I mean that's true. I, I don't think she's like totally confident in like you know the the goodness of uh, Whistler of Chris Christopherson. I think she's just like, you know, I'm not, uh, basically she's been pushed to that point where she's like, I'm not spending one more second here, even if it means my death. Uh, that's, that's her headspace, which is fine. Um, given, you know, the situation that she's in, but, um, yeah, I, I think he's definitely pessimistic and he's, you know, he's, he's just playing like probably the majority of people would just play with some degree of caution there. Uh, but she's, you know, the, the, the one interesting thing about this movie is this, this sort of, you know, fear, um, uh, of, of the future. I mean, that you see it with, with Joe, like as far as his, you know, he's hesitant to get back on, out on the waters. And mm -hmm. I, I talked earlier about the accident that sort of shapes him. And, you know, one issue I had with the, the, and, you know, it doesn't seem like, uh, what he experiences is really that different from what other people know about it. That it just seems like some sort of freak occurrence that came about. Um, but, that idea that you can control, you know, the, 
the what's going to happen the very next day if you just do X, Y, and Z. I think he's he's still holding on to that. Um, and through his previous tragedy, you know, maybe it's made him more guarded. Maybe he thinks that if he just is more cautious, uh, if he he thinks it through, then he'll he'll be able to know what's coming next. And I think that the other the other two there, the two women, I. I think they've sort of given to that idea that they, that you can't, you know, have a firm grasp of the next, you know, half hour of your life or the next day. And so that they've just been put in an extreme situation where they can really sort of test that. And so she's just giving into it. So, yeah, I mean, it's depending on how you want to read it, but yeah, I think it is just, it's a moment of desperation on her part or just giving in to the idea that, uh, at, you know, given where they are it's not really up to her what happens next they're they're at the whims of this strange man that you know holds a grudge against joe for you know his brother being involved in the accident and going to his death and um they're just you know they're just gonna hope for the best but they're they're gonna get an answer one way or the other which is kind of funny given that you know the one memory that has come up to me in this podcast was someone at the video store saying that you don't you know the biggest <laughs> complaints you don't get an answer one way or the other so um i mean i do like that i just i just don't like i don't like the way the film gets me to thinking about that. Like I, the, the discussion I'm having with you is more interesting than the act of watching the movie. That's as it, I think that's as it should be. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I would have hoped that you would have had a better time uh, with it, but, but, you know, I think these movies are meant to provoke discussions. Um, and I've actually, I've very ironically, I, I've been having uh, a debate on, on, on a project that I've been working on about this very same thing about, what an audience takes with them when a movie is over. And, you know, if they had had the ending, if they had had the Bonnie and Clyde ending uh, that I think was going to happen, or if they had had the castaway ending that maybe other people would have wanted to have, have had happen, it would close off your mind to, to the ideas uh, in the movie. You'd be able to get up and walk out maybe more satisfied, but you, it, it wouldn't stay with you as long. And what, you know, what they did here, you know, is, and, you know, yeah, much more, much more risky in 1999. You brought up the Sopranos, you know, um, the, the thing I would think about is that by 2007, we have no country for old men, which, you know, has an ending similar to this, uh, you know, that doesn't really wrap up, you know, every, every plot line and everything. Uh, and, and people ate it up, and I was always, I was really surprised when that happened at the time. Uh, and so maybe today, people would accept this ending more. But yeah, I have the same experience. Like I'm looking at IMDb, and even recent comments on the movie are are it's all about the ending, all about this cut to black here that uh, a lot of people don't like. Yeah, this this has uh, stayed with me. This has been one of the one of the biggest pleasant surprises of of this podcast for me. I'll just uh, stick with. I don't know what's been a surprise for me so far uh, on this this show. Um, the Winslow Boy. Actually, yeah, that was that was nice. That was pleasant. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll stick with that one. And uh, uh, I think the thing that I've had the most fun with is being amused at you coming out as such a defender of cruel intentions uh and i've noticed because i've been re-listening to our previous episodes <laughs> and man you mentioned it many a time uh your enthusiasm for that even you keep uh, calling back to it so limbo uh not so much uh unfortunately i'm i'm kind of on a, a bad streak here and uh, i think it's going to get even worse as we go into our next uh next episode wow 
Jesus. Okay, so now... <laughs> Uh, man, what happened, Michael? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I keep looking ahead at the schedule. Like, all right, like, there's going to be a pick-me-up that comes around. But I guess the one-two punch of Notting Hill and the Winslow boy, uh, that was just that's just going to be the best double feature I have on this podcast, apparently. All right. Um, so next week is Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. What creative and unique thing can we say <laughs> to, to tease... Uh, this episode uh i you know you mentioned imdb the comments so i was looking at a bit of trivia uh for austin powers the spy who shagged me and i don't know where this comes from because you know imdb is a bit of like i guess the uh the old internet like the old message board Mm -hmm. form where you just add your own trivia there and there's a bit on there uh where at some point uh and i don't think they've got like sort of like way of clarifying when this was said that uh, if Heather Graham had not been offered this part at that time, that she was thinking about switching gears and going into softcore pornography. <laughs> you know, I've realized I've come to learn not to trust the IMDb trivia section. And I, I if you go to the American president uh, IMDb trivia, there was this really random bit at the very bottom that was talking about, uh, the scene with John Mahoney's character and how originally in theaters he had uh, uh, additional lines that were then cut from the movie. And that intrigued me so much that I, because I love that movie and I had to find out, you know, what, the, what that was and everything. And I couldn't find any other reference to it anywhere on the internet. So I'm assuming someone just made it up. And I'm, that's probably what, what uh, is going on with the Heather Graham. Why would she admit to that? Like, who would ever admit to that? Well, okay, so she's coming off Swingers, Boogie Nights, Scream 2, uh, and Lost in Space. All commercial hits. Like, yeah, I think <laughs> like, I think she was good. You know? yeah. I, don't, I don't think she was in Dire Straits, but yeah. So that's our tease. Uh, we've debunked that, um, and then we're going to move on to the uh, the family-friendly version of uh, our discussion on Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. 